Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word and for uh, your apostles who recounted, uh, who took record of all your of all your uh, doings and, and your teachings and your miracles. And um, we thank you, God, uh, for that account. And we thank you for the account of Matthew, uh, taken meticulously, taken in, a, in a account of your word and becoming your word uh, by your grace, Lord. And so we just ask that you would, uh, now as we conclude it, that you would give us uh, your spirit so we may celebrate all that you've given us in our resurrected Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, um, I feel like I should have brought champagne. I um, I brought. Uh, I made a joke in, in the uh, eight o'clock service that I should. I forgot the mimosas and it kind of fell flat. Um, the the joke. Um, but but you know it, it is like I said, week fifty six of of fifty six. This is um, for the last not fifty six weeks, but really more like a year and a half with some different uh, breaks in the middle. Uh, we've been looking at Matthew, and I actually have never taught like this all the way through a gospel. And so uh, it is, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for the experience, and, and I hope you are as well. Uh, two weeks ago, we were in, uh, we looked at the resurrection, and uh, that was on Palm Sunday. And of course, last week was Resurrection Sunday with Easter, and what a glorious day uh, that was here at the church. Uh, Jesus began by saying, remember his first words in ministry? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now, as we conclude the gospel, he is, in fact, the resurrected, vindicated king. And, um, and all of his disciples are now with him. Uh, he told them, remember, when, when he was resurrected, he said, tell my brothers to go ahead of me uh, to Galilee, and I'll see them there. And that's where we are. We're in Galilee, uh, where it all started. Of course, now we're minus Judas, but we're, we've got the 11, and uh, we're back in Galilee, where it all started. So let's read the passage. There is so much in these five verses. It's, it's amazing. In fact, I mean, I, I've, I've looked at and thought about the Great Commission a lot of times, but I've uh, never... I guess I've never read this particular, what I'm going to read to you, and it just, to see, just in this last paragraph, not just the commission itself, but in the paragraph, how much is brought to conclusion. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, you probably notice that when I um, preach sermons, I like to, uh, if I start with a, opening illustration or, you know, story of some kind that I, at the end of the sermon, I want to refer back to that. You know, I want to, I want to, I feel like that sort of gives cognitive uh, completion. It gives uh, sort of a, it ties up any loose ends. And, um, and turns out uh, Matthew has done the same thing. 
and uh, much more subtly uh, in, in ways that I, having read it for all these years, didn't really realize. But, um, but just, uh, just really, Matthew has tied up a lot of loose ends and brought in a lot of themes just in, for those who are looking for them, just in these last uh, few verses. So what I want to do is I want to just, I thought about going through uh, this scholar, R.T. France, that I've been referring to uh, for a lot, for the last year and a half. Thought about just going through all the things he says, and then I, I just kind of felt like I was sort of poaching his, you know, like I, if, if I, if I were to list all the things, you would think, wow, Joe really, man, well, he is so smart, and I wouldn't want you to think that, so, um, um, so I, I'm just going to read it to you because it's, it's. I don't think I could do it uh, justice, actually. This is the main commentary I've been using. It's from the series called The New International Commentary of the New Testament. And this is what it says. So, what do you... <laughs> Siri found something for me because of what I said. Um, uh, it is... Um, you noticed in Matthew that he go that Matthew moves, uh, especially after um, after Peter's confession, he moves from north to south. He moves from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and then and this last part, these last paragraphs, we're back up to Galilee, so north to south, but we're back where it started. As you said, not only uh, it is not only the geographical setting that enables Matthew's final paragraph to give his story such a sense of completeness. In these few words, in these few words, many of the most central themes of the gospel reach their resolution and culmination. The preparation of the twelve as Jesus' task force. Alright, now let, y'all gotta look at me, not Savannah. Alright, Savannah, she's cute. She's cute, a lot cuter than I am. The preparation of the twelve as Jesus' task force, which had apparently ended in irreversible disaster just a chapter earlier, is now resumed as they, or rather eleven of them, are restored to their position of trust and responsibility and given the final instructions for for fulfilling the mission for which they were originally called. So the disciples were tasked with, with spreading the word. They blew it completely in the uh, garden, and now they're brought to restoration. Jesus Himself, risen from the dead, is now revealed in all His glory as the vindicated and enthroned Son of Man, a status which He has hitherto spoken of only as a future expectation, but which has now become reality. The proclamation of good news with which the narrative began, but which has been in... um, which has been stymied during the last few chapters as Jesus has been locked in conflict with, conflict with his enemies, can now be resumed. The proclamation is now resumed. But now its scope is far wider. It is no longer a mission simply to the lost sheep of Israel. Remember the Syrophoenician woman uh, which, where he says, I can't, you know, it's not right to give the crumbs to the, uh, of the children, the food of the children to the to the dogs, remember this? It's so offensive. We talked through that. He says, I've only come to the lost sheep of Israel. And, um, and, and so now we're going to all nations, as Jesus has already predicted. The almost imperceptible mustard seed is now about to grow into a mighty tree 
the kingdom of heaven is to be established over all the earth. The baptism which John had originally instituted as a symbol of a new beginning for repentant Israel is now to be extended to people from all nations. And at the heart of this new community of faith is the risen Jesus himself, just as he said he would be. They are to be his disciples, obeying his commandments, sustained by his unending presence among them. This new international community will be the church because it is he who now holds all authority in heaven and on earth, an authority greater than that which he was initially offered by Satan and refused. And perhaps most remarkably of all, the human Jesus of the hills of Galilee is now to be understood not as the preacher and promoter of faith, but as, him, but as himself its object, the object of faith and, um, with which he, that he was promoting. The unprecedented formula for the baptism of new disciples links the Son with the Father and the Holy Spirit in a single name. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Throughout the Gospel, there have been hints and more than hints that Jesus is more than just a human preacher or even a Messiah. He is related to God as Son to Father. And in different ways, Matthew has allowed us to see Him acting with divine authority. God has come to visit His people. Alright, well, as I read that, it feels much more academic than uh, than accessible, and so um, so I hope. But I hope you can see that there's a lot of uh, culmination in what he's been saying. So uh, lots of the themes that that he he's been brought uh, through the gospel are now being finding their resolution just in this last paragraph. Um, so let's just go through the, the paragraph and what we'll we're going to see where where we end. Um, any any sort of Right off the bat, any sort of uh, questions or comments about the paragraph or about what I've just read? Yep, Doc. Yeah, it's interesting. Early on in the reading, it talks about, uh, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Yep, that's the first thing I want to get to, yep. Oh, okay. Yep. No, no, that's fine. You can, yeah. Well, I, I, I was just trying to clarify that. In my own mind, I'm thinking, all right, his disciples, was that disciples and, and plus others that had followed him? Uh, because it's hard for me to think that his 11, uh, after seeing all that they said, that they would doubt. Yep. That is, thank you. That's, that's an excellent point, or excellent question. The question is, uh, it's hard to, it, were, were these other people that had come along, um, because it's hard to think that the disciples still would have, that any of the disciples at this point still would have doubted. That's a great point, and we'll talk, talk that through. Thank you for bringing that up. Anybody else? Other things? We want to make sure we get to in this. Alright. Then I get to decide. <laughs> so yes. So we're, as we said, we're back in Galilee where we all started. We've come sort of full circle. Um, and then it says, as Doc said, that they, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. How do you how do you think of Doubt as a concept. Do you think of it positively or negatively or not on that spectrum? It's negative, but it, I think it's also got a scientific edge to it. So a scientific it edge it to it. It doesn't speak as much, I think, to the heart as it tries to speak to the brain. That's, I like how you say that. It doesn't speak as much to the heart as it does to the brain. 
How do you learn if you don't doubt? How do you learn if you don't doubt? So there's a positive um, acknowledgement of the importance of doubt. Yeah, I think that uh, it's not even on that spectrum, right? Okay. You know, just thinking back to like April Fool's Day. I saw something funny online. April Fool's Day. Uh, April Fool's the one time uh, of the year that people doubt the headlines they read on, on the internet. Yeah. And that's a positive thing because you're, you're, <laughs> you're being skeptical and trying to think through and trying to make sense of what you're seeing rather than just taking it at face value. Okay. You're, you're analyzing it. Doesn't that speak to the context? Yeah, that was context specific as to whether it's positive or negative. All right, so uh, Micah said it's it's context specific as to whether it's positive or negative. I, I can go there. I can go by that. All right. So doubt. This word doubt is is um, is only used one other time in the entire New Testament, and it's in Matthew, and it's when Peter walks on water. And then sinks, or begins to sink, which is always so strange about Peter because he, um, you would think that if like if you're walking on water and it'd be like Wiley e. Coyote, right? You'd be like whoop, boop, you know, just you know, like. It, but he actually, it kind of seems like he be almost lowered by his doubts into, into, thing. and so, um, but, but Jesus says, you, "Oh, you to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt?" Same word. And it's the only time we use this word. There are other words to talk about doubt, disbelief. But this word specifically has to do with um, uh, duplication. I've never actually noticed that the word doubt, D-O-U-B-T, actually is the first same words as a double and it actually, uh, what, it, what the word conveys is that, that he is of two minds. And if you think about what um, doubt is, it's really, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It is, it is, I want to believe this, I think this is true, and yet I have questions about it at the same time. And that is, to me, that is a situation that resonates. That is something that I completely understand. Uh, I... Um, I feel like I have doubts like that all the time. There are, or, or maybe not all the time, but often. Even about things like the resurrection, which I proclaim boldly uh, to you, I still sometimes in my quiet moments think, I mean, why does it matter? Like, and it's just this, this all of a sudden, this second belief. It's not that I don't believe that he was resurrected, but it's like it creeps in. And it ha- I have to wrestle with that. And I have to deal with the second question that comes, or the second belief that comes in. And that's really what's going on. So it's not that, um, I mean, the word conveys this sort of yes, but uh, attitude. And so it's the disciples coming in and saying, um, they, they worshipped him, but some had a second thought. Some had a second question. Uh, a, a second, some were still not sure that they could believe what they were seeing. And to me, that is not particularly scandalous. Because it is, um, it is the act of answering those questions which actually builds our faith. Yes, Linda. It's not like what Paul describes as the constant tension or antagonism between the flesh and the spirit. Is this what uh, 
Paul describes as antagonism between the flesh and the spirit. And I would say my first reaction to that, Linda, is uh, I don't think so. Um, not that there isn't a, an antagonism between the flesh and the spirit, but this it's doubt, and, to me it is, the way that I'm reading it, the way I sort of experience this sort of double-mindedness, that it's not, a, uh, it's not like being two-faced. Where, um, it's, and, and certainly we can also resonate with the idea that there are uh, you know, sort of two wolves inside of us and which one, yeah. you know, gets strong is the one we feed, you know, and um, we, can, we can certainly do that. Now, if our doubts overtake what we believe to be true, then perhaps it does, it might become that. But I think that, I mean, all these, these disciples are the ones who then went around proclaiming and eventually were martyred, right, for their belief. And so at least what we know, what we believe we know about these disciples is that their questions were eventually answered. And so probably their, their faith was strengthened based on what they experienced and what they knew to be true, but they, they, um, they answered these questions with their experience. Um, this is not the word that is used of Thomas. Um, and, and actually, I, so I looked that up after George's uh, sermon, and uh, just, just really quickly, and, and it, um, not during the sermon. Um, <laughs> Just a minute ago, and um, and it, it's disbelief. Do, don't disbelieve, but believe. Is it's an act actually, uh, it, which I believe is is um, I understand that to mean don't believe it to not be true, but believe it to be true. Uh, is is the way I understand that, and it's it's, uh, and yet it, I think George does a great job of vindicating uh, vindicating Thomas. So they're, they're, um, they're having second thoughts. But I think disbelief in this sense is the doorway uh, to belief, uh, or, or doubt in this sense is the doorway to belief, uh, or stronger belief. Doubt is having two thoughts that are competing against one another. Yes, I believe this, but it kind of seems crazy. Here's why I believe this, but here's the problem with that belief. There's some intellectual honesty to that. And, um, and like I said, I've got the, I have these thoughts Often, anybody here have a positive experience with their own doubt? You'd be willing to share, talk about a positive experience. I think, for instance, that um, one of the hardest things, and there are some hard questions to answer about Scripture. And doesn't, so doubt isn't, it's not that I doubt Scripture's veracity, that it's, it's truthfulness. But when Jesus says something like, you will not, there are people standing here who will not die before this, is, this happens. And he looks to me to be talking about the end of the world. Or his return. And I look at that and I think, I, can't, I don't know how to reconcile that. Well, actually, as we studied Matthew, I, was, I got some answers that I've never gotten before. If you remember uh, about that, as Jesus is looking at the temple, and, and he's actually saying, he's talking about the destruction of the temple, not the end of the world, and I've never really understood that. So digging deeper, I found the answer. But I just hadn't, I had some questions that weren't reconciled with what I knew to be true. And I found what I should say is an answer that was more satisfying uh, to me. Um, Doubt is uncomfortable. 
at times, but it is also, I think, it can be productive. Yes? To doubt doesn't mean that you sin. So that would eliminate the call flesh from the spirit. To doubt doesn't mean that you sin. Right. Yes. You can doubt and not sin. Yeah, I think. That's the holy. A lot of people yes. sin and they believe it all the way through. And they still sin. <laughs> yeah. But you're, I think you're talking about the, uh, the doubt itself is not sin. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's why I, I don't think it's part of Pauline, the flesh fighting with the spiritual. I don't think that's, yes. that's necessarily having anything to do with In it. fact, I think that has to do with more believing it all the way through but not acting in accordance with that belief, which, which I also know that experience. Um, so I just want to say that I think that doubt can be productive and you shouldn't be ashamed of it. And in fact, what, one of the things that George says is in the, the Episcopal Church, we love questions. We, look, we welcome them. We know what's true, but we love for you to make uh, questions. Uh, don't may I make one comment? Yes, sir. Right there while we're on this point. Uh, to distinguish other thoughts from doubt, uh, Satan is always sending messages to us, his emissaries. And Jesus is the light. And as, as we walk away from those things, we don't, you don't sin just because you th- something hits your mind and you think about it. That's not sin. It's sin when you act on it or you nurture it. And so I know a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people that think, well, I get these bad thoughts. And, and I said, first of all, tell me what the thought is. But, but, but secondly, uh, the thought itself is not a sin. It's when you react to it. Or how you react. Well, I, again, I, I think we, we have the potential to go off into the weeds because I think some thoughts probably are simple. You know, so, uh, you know, if you're, if you're angry at your brother. But that's, we're not talking about anger. We're talking about what you believe about the truthfulness of the risen Christ. You know, like um, about the lordship, the kingship, the person of, of, of Christ, the character of Christ. And, um, and I think that's what we're, I think that's what this is talking about specifically. Um, but and so it's it's you know you got to keep you got to take each thought captive you got to understand each you know each situation. Well, let's move on to verse eighteen where Jesus says to the disciples, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." That is a lot of authority. What it is easy to skip past that because it is so big. It is such a massive statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And a lot of times, we don't know what to recon- how to reconcile that statement. But we can say just for, for um, we can cross-reference with chapter 4 and the, uh, and, and the temptation narrative where Satan takes Jesus up to a high place and says, uh, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I'll give it all to you if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, um, he says, get behind me, right? Or he, at that point he says, yeah, I think that's get behind me. Um, no, that's not get behind me. But he says, go away, yeah, right? Just get out of here. Uh, what Jesus has received here is far greater. We can also cross-reference Philippians chapter 2, that wonderful hymn that... Um, that wonderful hymn that, that Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 2, 
uh, it says, uh, Jesus Christ, who was in the form of God, did not, not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here it is. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So uh, it is a massive, massive statement. Uh, This is, in a sense, world domination. But it's actually not domination in the sense of sort of what we might call right-handed strength. It's much more left-handed strength. It's much more uh, a gentleness uh, that allows, uh, that, that is in fact permissive, right? The King James translates this as power. All power in heaven and earth has been given to me. But it's not the word uh, dynamis, or like we should get dynamite. It's not that kind of power. It is... Um, exousia is the word, which is a sense of choice. It is all influence, all privilege, all authority in that sense. Um, like Jesus tells Pilate, you would have no authority if it were not given to you from above. You would have no ability to influence this situation. Um, it's, not, it's not power in, in, in the explosive sense that we often think of power. Um, and, in, and the same word is used in Romans chapter 13 where Paul says no authority uh, is uh, given except that which is given from God. What does it mean for us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus? What are the implications for you in your daily life? I think it can take a sense of worry, like we tend to worry about what, you know, whatever the thing is, what others think, the, whether it's the co-workers or your boss or your friend or the, the situation, and if we know that the ultimate authority is Jesus, then we, it, it takes some of those layers off. No, yes. We don't, have to, we don't have to worry about that. If if Amy said if he is uh, Jesus has all authority, then we don't have to worry about the things that we don't understand as they happen. It takes the pressure off. Is that a good? Because he's he's in charge, and yet he certainly allows people to make ungodly decisions that have dramatic influence and impact on us and on the world around us. So I don't think that the way he applies this authority is that he's the puppet master and everything happens according to his will, and yet somehow, in retrospect, he uses it and redeems it according to his will. I don't, I don't really have that. I mean, I don't have that all. That's, that's one of my questions. I know it's true, but how, how, do, you, how do you take account of uh, the Holocaust, or how do you count, take account of the Ukraine war, or how do you uh, take account of all these things, these terrible things done uh, both by um, enemies of the we, people, things we would consider evil, and things that you know have done, been done in the church's name. 
things that we've done uh, that we look back on later and thought were, were wrong. Um, how, how is it that, um, that these things are reconciled? Yes. Um, let's just say the, the police have authority over the town, but that doesn't stop people from shooting each other. Because unfortunately, in making human beings, God decided to insert free will. And therein lies the rub. There's the rub. The authority's there, but you can choose to acknowledge it and follow it, or you can choose to go the other way. Yep, because God has allowed these people to take power just as He allowed you to take whatever power you have, and God has given us over to our own ambition. So we're back to that, was well, it predestination? Or is it free will? Yes. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. It's both. Um, but we can also say that God has, um, that terrible consequences for many others has been the platform that God has used, or the trial that God has used to build faith. I was just uh, reading a devotion yesterday about Corey Ten Boom, who was a Holocaust survivor, and she was a, a Christian. She actually um, uh, held, uh, she made, they made a false wall in her bedroom, and, and she housed about 800 Jews on, on the run from time to time, and then she was betrayed to the Gestapo, and then and she was put with her sister into this um, concentration camp, and they led hundreds of people to Christ, and had these uh, these uh, Bible studies and prayer times, and Betsy, her sister, was, was killed in the concentration camp, but then Corey Timboom, of course, had, went on to have this incredible ministry and um, uh, published books and everything is still thought of. You think about Desmond Tutu and the, um, and the, um, the apartheid in, in South Africa and the platform, the awfulness, and yet the platform that, for redemption and reconciliation that was given. Uh, Eric Little, who was the missionary to China, who chose... Uh, incarceration so that other people could be freed and is still regarded. He's the one in Chariots of Fire. Um, anyway, lots of examples of the terrible consequences of power being misused, and yet that becomes a platform for f- building faith in, in others. I don't really know how that goes. But I know that the next verse because I have the authority, because that is, as we understand, uh, the layers come off, the worry comes, comes off, the, uh, we can trust that he, it's, He's going to move in His authority with His influence, that we can, in fact, then go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, you remember that when uh, Abraham was called, and um, in the very first, you know, early chapters of Genesis, God said, that I will make you the father of many nations, and all nations of the, fa- of the earth will be uh, blessed through you. And here we are, through Jesus, going to make disciples of all nations. Um, the disciples is, when it says go and make disciples, it's not exactly, the words are related, the Greek is related to the 11 disciples, but this is uh, make disciples or teach other people, that's a singular verb. And it means uh, to go and enroll students. It's what a rabbi would do if he was going out to uh, and, and develop, gathering a following. He would enroll students. And, um, and so he's saying, go out and enroll disciples. 
Uh, how do we do that? Are you all to be uh, teachers and evangelists? No. Yes. Well, we, we that carried it to the, to the Father's term, teachers and, and evangelists. No, because there are a lot of con, con, common people also are, are, are to do the same thing, but without the depth of the title. Or, Each of us needs to understand how we are to make disciples. And what I think that means is we are to convey the love, the happiness, the joy, the steadfastness of faith in Christ. That we are to uh, bear witness. Um, not cram it down people's throats. Uh, not cancel them if they don't believe what we believe. But to stand and um, love them uh, when, when and how God gives us. And when God calls us to, not just when they ask, but to use words when necessary. I, words are necessary far more often than we would like. We love to quote St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. I don't know that Francis actually said that, but somebody attributed it to him. And it's a fine thing to say, as long as we understand that words are often necessary. You can't look at a sunset and know that Jesus died for your sins. You can know that there is a God who is amazing, who created beauty, who is worthy of worship. But you don't know how to have a relationship with him. But you and I have a, a unique Example and unique opportunity to share because we know how to have a relationship. We're to go to all nations. Doesn't mean that you have to leave and go to, I don't know, Malaysia. Um, it just means that where you are, where you're planted, some people have to do that, but where you are, that you, it's, it's the most important part of your life and you're going to share your life with those around you. Um, just the other day, I went to um, Trader Joe's and I go to Trader Joe's a lot and, uh, because I buy lunch there just about every day that I don't have an appointment. And um, the prices have gone up, but it's still about, about the cheapest lunch you can get. And I bought a banana, and I was wearing my collar, and the, one, the woman at the cashier, uh, the cashier said, is this organic or regular? And I said, it's regular. And she said, how can I trust you? <laughs> And then she burst out laughing. She said, that was, that was for, you know, and it was just this funny little moment, you know, that I just, we were, you know, I was like, it's, I'll pay the six cents, you know, you know but, um, and it was just, it was just this funny little moment. And, uh, but it was just an opportunity. I have no idea where in the world she is with, with Jesus, but it was just an opportunity to say, you know, just to share the joy of the Lord uh, with this with this girl, and it really made her day to to sort of needle this you know priest. And uh, how can I trust you? It was really it was funny. Um, and I, I actually I was uh, so that was Thursday, and I went back on Friday uh, at to get my lunch, and um and I looked for her. I didn't see her, but I'm gonna I'm gonna look for her again, and um I'm gonna get an organic banana next time. Uh, yeah. Yes, Amy. Mm -hmm. No, I was just thinking about you know when necessary use words that. And that the words are important. Sometimes I feel like, and this is like, ooh, this one's hard. But oftentimes, what I what I've found in life is when I look back on the the times that God has given me opportunity and the Holy Spirit's little nudge to to use the words, um, it's when 
it's usually when something wrong has happened that that you want to give the revenge and the cutting word or whatever, and if God gives you the, that moment to give him grace instead, that is often what earns you the place that 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 you can speak those words. So if you couldn't hear, Amy says that, that what often gives you the opportunity to speak the words of truth uh, are actions of grace. When, uh, you know, what you want to, somebody cuts you off in traffic and you want to tell them they're number one, but, um, <laughs> but <laughs> actually you wouldn't really get a chance to talk to them. But um, when, uh, when you have an opportunity to give grace rather than revenge, that does, in fact, create a platform um, because actually, I don't. I've never met anybody. I have met people who were, came to Christ because they understood the arguments for it. But not. I've never met anybody who was argued into the kingdom. I've only. But I've met lots of people who were loved when they didn't deserve it, or treated with kindness when they deserved to be treated poorly, and um, and that was the turning point for them. Which is. Um, Something that a lot of people, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just think it, we always have opportunity to give grace, whether it's to our children or to our parents or to our neighbors uh, who have their yippy dog or whatever it is that uh, we have uh, opportunities for grace. And, and that's what changes hearts is undeserved love. Truth sometimes changes minds, not often. But what changes hearts is undeserved love. And I think that this is now the risen and vindicated Lord is speaking to these men who just a few days ago ran off. Ran off. And he is, he, this is not the same institution uh, that we have in John with Jesus on the beach with Peter saying, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. Which is actually even more intimate than this. But this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, it looked like they had run off and abandoned their duty, and now he's saying, I'm, I trust you. Did they deserve that trust? Absolutely not. Do you deserve that trust? Absolutely not. You and I are the ones now who get to take all that we've found in Matthew and share that with the world. That he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That he is the one who walks on water. That he is the one who... Um, who takes the five loaves and the two fish and makes it more than enough. That's all you ever have to offer anyway, is five loaves and two fish. That's what I tell a lot of people. That's all I climb into the pulpit with every week is five loaves and two fish. And it's up to him to make it more than enough. You know, and, it's just, and he does. So God's going to take what you have to offer and grow his kingdom. He's going to take that mustard seed of faith and make it a mighty tree. And it's really awesome. And... He says at the very end, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and what do we see in Matthew chapter 1, a year and a half ago, that the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph and said, Mary's going to have a son and you will name him Emmanuel which means God with us. And so in a way that I could never have predicted or even some sense seen, Matthew is tying it all up neatly 
to pack in a package to give to each, each of us, that He is with us just as He promised. Just as it all was meant to be, God with us, He will be with us always. And you never have to wonder. When things look like they're at their worst, is He with you? Yes. Why did He let it get like that? I don't know. But He does. And that will be the platform. That will be the doubt. That will be the opportunity to build our faith. Because God is with us. Amen. Amen. That's all I got. That's Matthew. That's it. Any, uh, any, we're just about to close up. Any thoughts or questions other than I'm going to tell you what we're going to do starting next week? Parting shots. You know, this, uh, the verse 18, the all authority in heaven and earth. Yep. So, you know, you get the Trinity, all one God, but you know, transfers of, of the authority from kind of one aspect of God to another, right? So, authority in the minds of the Israel or the, the Jews at that time would be, you know, all the power in heaven and earth rests with the Father, who is, you know, the God who Sodom and Gomorrah at the flood. You know, sending them to exile in Babylon. All the law, the punishment, the, the you know, seems to be harsher in a lot of ways. Now all authority is with the suffering servant, the guy who washed their feet, the guy, you know, the, the lamb who's... Taking away the sin of the world. Yeah. Lamb. So it's shifting that power, you know, that, or that authority, you know, from a sense of punishment to a sense of <coughs> forgiveness and redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, in fact, I didn't say this, but I'm going to say it now, is uh, baptizing them in the name, not the names, but the singular name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the clearest Trinitarian formula in all of Scripture. Right here. um, That Jesus gives His disciples. And for whatever reason, Matthew doesn't say, and then He was lifted up. But He was. And I don't know if it was right then or what, but this is, is, um, then He ascended. And Ascension Sunday is in a few weeks, but that's, I always think about the bottle rocket, you know, goes up and then explodes over, over the land, and that's kind of, that's how, that's how it is. He didn't, ex- you know, didn't explode. I mean, it's just, a, it's just an analogy. But he goes up, and so by the Holy Spirit, he's, he's with us, with, over us all. Yes, last one, Richard. It says, uh, the 11 disciples, when was the word apostle come into use? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that um, I think it. I have to look, and I think it might be different in different gospels. Oh, um, I, let's refer to the expert, George. When Mary left the tomb to go and tell the other disciples, because that's what apostle means. Apostolos means sent to go and tell to your sent. Yeah, when when these when this group of men was uh, first. Now, we can call Mary the first apostle because she was sent. When the disciples were, began to be called apostles, I think is in Acts, but I'd have to, I'd have to look to verify that. It would be early in Acts, but yeah, I think that's right. All right, so what we're going to do for the next few weeks uh, is called the Lectio course. I've talked to you sometime about the Lectio 365 app. They have a, um, they have a course on, on prayer and, and study. It's five weeks. There's video and there's questions. And I think that's just going to be a nice little tidy thing. 
uh, before I head out for, for seminary, and I've uh, looked at it, and I think it's really good. So that's, that's my plan uh, called the Lectio course. You can Google uh, 24-7 prayer, and that group should come up, and you can look up the Lectio course. Or you could probably just Google the Lectio course, L-E-C-T-I-O. And I'm pretty excited about it. I hope you'll come back. God bless you. Go to church.